Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you are here, whether you are watching and listening to this live uh, or you are catching it on archive. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. My name is Rick Burgess. My day job is co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show, uh, and I also have uh, another job, and that is the director of themanchurch.com. Themanchurch.com is a hub for men's ministry. We have a full-blown men's discipleship strategy uh, to reach and disciple the men of your church and of your community. You can find that by going to themanchurch.com. And if you're wondering, there's over 620-something churches uh, all over the country and even some in different parts of the world uh, that are doing the men's discipleship strategy to some degree, either fully or partially. And uh, a lot of you have asked, where can I find one near me? Well, the best thing to do is just go to themanchurch.com, and you'll see one that says events. And if uh, if there's a church that's doing a man church service uh, with one of our teachers, then they're also doing the curriculum because our strategy features two things, high challenge, men either at events or in services where they're challenged by one of our teachers, uh, and then we follow that with high equipping, and that's the discipleship part. Uh, when they go into one of our uh, soon-to-be four 40-week curriculum, and we'll have others going forward, uh, we have three of them already ready to go, uh, Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity, Real Men of the Bible, and Be Disciples. And our fourth one called Impact uh, will be coming out at the end of April uh, 2023, so at the end of this month uh, when I'm doing this uh, study live. And uh, and it will uh, be available to you if you uh, have already gone through the others or maybe you'd like to try that. I would not suggest that if you are just getting started that you do Be Disciples or, or Impact First. We would suggest that you would do the pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity or real men first. Uh, it'll, it'll flow better for the men over the, the next few years. So uh, find all that at themanchurch.com. A couple of events coming up I do want to make you aware of. Uh, I am excited to go to Omaha, Nebraska. I'll be there at Westside Church doing a men's conference for them. Uh, we actually have churches in the area, including Westside, that are that, that are doing our curriculum. But this will be the first time for me to go and see these men live and men from the surrounding communities. So Omaha, Nebraska, Westside Church, April 14th and 15th, next weekend. Uh, I'm speaking for sure uh, on, uh, on uh, Lord willing, on Saturday morning. Uh, I may have something to say on Friday night, but I'm flying commercial, so who knows. Uh, so we, we've talked about that, but with, uh, we do have uh, that covered. Then on the 21st of April, uh, my wife Sherry and I uh, will be doing a marriage conference together. That's something else we do. Uh, uh, the marriage conference will be in Brandon, Florida, near Tampa at Bell Shoals Church. Uh, so if you'd like to be part of that uh, April the 21st, you can find those dates uh, by going to BurgessMinistries.com and look under events. Uh, also, our brand-new individual resource uh, for men or women. Uh, there, and some of the examples in here are directed at men, but uh, men and women, this is it really doesn't matter. It's called Transformed. Uh, this is a 31-day devotional. It is available now uh, really uh, just about anywhere you get books. Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's at themanchurch.com. Uh, it's at rickandbubba.com uh, in, in the various stores. You can grab that. Uh, it is uh, embracing the death of self and the power of God. 31 verses straight from Bible uh, from the Bible. I wrote the commentary asking the question, have you been transformed by Jesus? Let's open up in a word of prayer today, our study of the revelation. 
will continue. We'll be in Revelation continuing in chapter 6. We're going to try to get in verses 9 through 17. We'll get in as much as time allows today. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. May your holy word be glorified. May it be treated with reverence. Uh, Lord, uh, may, may you um, prepare our hearts to, to discern properly through the power of the Holy Spirit everything that you have to say. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So if you remember, uh, we're now at the part where the judgments are being handed out uh, in the tribulation. Uh, there are seven seals. Uh, we, we went through uh, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse last Wednesday, uh, our last Bible study. Uh, we will now pick up with the fifth seal today, and we're going to try to get in the fifth and sixth seal uh, if we don't, we'll pick up the sixth seal next week. I think we can get it in, uh, but we're gonna. Our goal is to get chapter six finished uh, in the Bible study today. So, um, l- l- a little commentary to get us set up. God is revealed in Scripture, and we talked about this on another Bible study we did. Uh, this is from the J.I. Packer book called Knowing God, and J.I. Packer, what he was inspired to write was: It is possible for us to know a lot about God and still not know God. And and then he also takes on what human beings have a tendency to do, Rick Burgess included, where we tend to look at God and we call it the buffet of his deity. Uh, we look and we go, I like that you are loving. I like that you are merciful. Love your grace. Uh, oh, I see there that you're also judgment and you're also wrath. I will take none of that. No, thank you. Uh, but that's not knowing God. That's knowing about God somewhat and picking and choosing our preferences. God is revealed in Scripture that he is truly loving. He is merciful. He is gracious. And that's a very popular thing. We love that. And and we this week is Holy Week when I'm doing this Bible study. We're celebrating uh, God's grace and God's mercy and redemption, and we should, but we're also going to see the unpopular this week. We can't miss this on Holy Week, and that is that God is also a God of judgment, wrath, vengeance against all who reject him. Remember what we said, as we, even this week, as we remember Jesus going to the cross, and then we remember Jesus walking out of the tomb. That's what we're doing on Holy Week. Uh, this, you know, if, if you want to talk about upsetting people, go from Palm Sunday when everybody's got palm branches crying Hosanna, and in less than seven days they have you on a cross. So it, it, it was quite a turnaround uh, for, for our Lord and Savior this week. So, so when we look to that brutality of the cross, we know that we are either redeemed by what Jesus is, is doing for us or we are judged by that. We are condemned or we're redeemed because that, that is the only that's, that's the only sacrifice that will properly redeem us, that will pay the price. So when we look to the brutality of the cross, when we look to the brutality of God's wrath that was poured out on his only son, yes, we should say thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Yes, we say that. Thank you for your love. But we must also say thank you for reminding me how serious you take sin. Thank you for reminding me of that. Psalms is full of cries for God to take vengeance on all who are evil and reject him and his servants. Psalm 64, 7 through 9, David says this, and you know David had many enemies against him, and David at times, like us, was his worst enemy himself. I pray that, 
I try to pray it every day. Uh, I, I, I pray for God to protect me from my worst enemy, myself. Uh, God, though, but here David's talking about those that, that came against him that were his enemies, other human beings. And here's what David was crying out for. God will shoot at them, the wicked, with an arrow. Suddenly they will be wounded, so they will stumble. Their own tongue is against them. All who see them will shake their head. Then all men will fear, and they will declare the work of God and will consider what he has done. He wants God to take out his wrath on his enemies, and he said, I want it to be so awful. I want people to watch them and how awful the suffering is that they won't, be, they won't do the same thing to you that these people have done. Psalms uh, tells us again in Psalms 94, our Lord God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, render recompense, uh, recompense I'm sorry, to the proud. He has brought back the wickedness upon them in their evil. Our Lord, our God, will destroy them. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, and we see this throughout Scripture. And this is, but here's the difference in the Lord's vengeance versus ours. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and he will judge all who oppose him. He will. That is going to happen. But the difference in his vengeance in ours, and we must get this, ours is petty. Ours comes from pride. We want to be vindicated. We want those who did us wrong to pay. That's not how God's vengeance is. Ours is vindictive. Ours is about revenge. God's is, God's is about his holiness, his righteousness, and justice. They demand that he take vengeance on the unrepentant sinners because all who sin ultimately are against him and an offense to him. It is not our place. We are not the ones who have been wronged. He's the one that's been wronged. And he's the only one that can make a case that he has been wrong, and because of his perfection, those who have wronged him deserve the punishment. We can't claim that, but he can. God is patient. He is slow to anger, but that time does run out. You've heard me say this so many times. Just because he's slow to anger doesn't mean he's not going to anger. And we've seen this throughout times. I mean, even before we get to the revelation, we've seen times where he said, I've had enough. The flood, we saw that. Of course, we talked about last week, he gave 120 years for that. And then we see the thousands of years he's allowing us uh, through his son, Jesus. So the fifth seal is going to mark the midpoint of the tribulation period. This is going to bridge the gap between the beginning of God's wrath and the first half, um, and and now the full, the full fury will be revealed in the second half. We have the tribulation has started with the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the four seals, but the fifth, sixth, and seventh seal, this will be the full fury of God. This is the great tribulation. And I told you this when we started studying the revelation, especially when we got to chapter 6, and I'm going to say it again today, to all who are here, repent. Repent. I beg you to repent. You do not want to face the fury and the righteous vengeance 
of a holy God poured out on all who remain unrepentant. If you think there's something on this earth that pleases you so much that it's better than God, you're going to die with it. And I'm speaking to you as someone who's been guilty of all this, okay? So I'm not, I'm not talking at you. I'm talking with you because I love you. So when we get down to this second half, the prayers of God's saints begin to ask God to exact vengeance on rebellious mankind. So the fifth seal revealed the, the previous in, involved in the petition. Now they have, and, and, and they're, they're, they're before him, and we're going to see this, and then you're going to hear the promise that those that have been martyred, you're going to hear the promise that they receive from our holy God. So let's look at verse 9. Verse 9, chapter 6, the revelation. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Now, if you have something to write with, it's, you're going to see why they were slain. Okay, and we'll cover this. He, he, John knows. He's, he's being told. They were slain for the word of God, for the witness they had borne. So why is everybody killing them? Because they, they're, wit, they're witnesses of God, and they're standing on his holy word. I don't know if y'all are looking around in the country you live in now, but um, this is becoming standing on God's word is becoming very unpopular. Uh, John sees underneath the altar the souls of those who have been slain. Now let's let's clarify this: these are the martyrs killed during the time of God's judgments, including during the time of the false peace that we talked about last week. Now these people have been killed during the time of war, famine, disease that is dominating the unbelieving world, the persecution of those who repent during this time, this, this persecution now will be led by Satan and his demons and the Antichrist, and it will be worldwide. I told you last week, I hope some of you did take the assignment, I told you to go read Matthew 24 when the disciples were with him, including John, and they asked Jesus about this, and he basically lays out Revelation 6. Now, one of the things he tells them right there is that there will be uh, worldwide persecution uh, of all Christians. And if, and if you were not good students and you did not go and read it like I asked you to, uh, we will at least look at this. So here is 24. Uh, here's Jesus talking about end times, and here's verse 9, and this is what John is seeing. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. So it's going to be worldwide. Everybody is going to hate those that stand for Christ. And this sets up what Jesus talks about in Matthew twenty four fifteen, the abomination of desolation. Daniel. Three times, uh, making notes, stay with me, in 927, 1131, 1211, he describes the desecration of the temple, which now this was this, the, the abomination of desolation is going to be the final desolation of the temple. What Daniel is talking about happened in the second century, uh, uh, and this was by the Syrian king. 
that that came and 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 uh, and took over the temple. Jesus is describing the future abomination of desolation. Daniel was talking about the one that happened in the second century by the Syrian king. Jesus is pointing to the future abomination of desolation. This is when the Antichrist, the final Antichrist, will set himself up and desecrate the temple. He'll go in there to be worshipped as God. If you would like to see that, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, we'll look at that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Paul talking about it to those at Thessalonica that were wanting to know. So when when he the removal of God's restraint, because the church has been has been raptured at this point, will allow him to fully, okay, you ready? To fully manifest his evil and apostasy on all governments, the churches, there will not be a church that exists that is not completely apostate. Churches will still be going, but they'll none of them will be preaching correctly. They'll all be full. I mean, we, we had to, I'm not going to use the word pastor. We, we had a person today claiming to be a pastor that literally stood in a pulpit uh, as a transgender person leading the church and trying to tell us that the transgender murderer that murdered the children and the teachers and the principal at the Christian school and compared that person to Jesus Christ's uh, crucifixion on the cross. That happened this week. That happened this week. That's a person standing in a church preaching and claiming to teach and claiming to represent God. That happened this week. So don't don't act like that the church is becoming completely apostate or something. Well, I just can't imagine that. You got it going on right now. Okay? And so so that's exactly what's going to happen and people will will turn all of them. Now keep in mind here it is. The antichrist will manifest his evil with no restraint. The apostasy in governments, false churches will be at an all-time high and guess what's going to happen? If you decide to repent and say, I want to follow Christ, every one of them is going to turn on you. Like I said when we first talked about this, if, if you wait and you say, I think I'll wait and see if I can survive the, the tribulation, this is not a good plan, okay, because even if, you get, even if you survive it, first of all, I love the arrogance of that, that you think you'll be so strong that you won't crumble to all this to save your own life, that you'll be so bold that you'll stand up against the worst persecution anybody has ever seen, but you'll be just fine. You won't denounce Jesus to save your own life. You wouldn't do that. That's easy to say. I've I've noticed, it goes back to one of the funny uh, things that I noticed, you know, playing the game of football. I noticed that the guy with the chalk on the chalkboard is blocking all kinds of people. But it's different out on the field. Okay, because the guy that that I'm supposed to block with that piece of chalk 
may be big, bad, and ugly and awful difficult to move, okay? And so the fact that any of anybody would declare, I think I can take the tribulation. I think I can take it, and I'll just I'll do whatever I want to do, and then I'll go through the – of course, you have to also think you're not going to die before then. You're not going to get killed in a car wreck. You're not going to die of some sort of disease. First of all, you think you're going to live to the tribulation, and then you're going to get there, and you're going to say, it's going to be terrible, but I'll right then's when I'm going to repent. Well, the minute you do, somebody's going to kill you. And, uh, and so that's what's going to happen. And that's also in Matthew 24. I hope you all did your assignment. Jesus talks about this in verse 13. Okay, and the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The redeemed will persevere. And that's what he's talking about. But that will not prevent all this is going on. Now, would you think about this? Even when, when, when the evil comes at the church unrestrained, when I say the church, those who do repent and will not denounce Jesus, that it will not prevail. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. That's in Matthew 24, 14, back to our assignment. And, and how about this? We will see, it will include, which we're going to talk about when we get to chapter 7, 144,000 Jewish evangelists, two powerful preachers, that's the two witnesses, and an angel flying through the sky. A multitude are going to repent that no one can count. So severe, Jesus says, it, 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 that if his father were didn't shorten it, that no one would survive. He said, there's mercy from my father in this that it only went seven years. He said, especially the last three and a half, if that had gone any longer, nobody could have survived it. That's how bad it's going to be. So these martyrs, is what John is seeing, now are seen as souls. They, they, they're they not in their glorified bodies yet. Uh, they are the first fruits of those who were saved during the tribulation. And then John says what? Remember I told you to underline this. They were slain for two reasons. Number one, the Word of God. That's already you, – you, you remember when I said we got foreshadows? Now, don't think we're in the tribulation because we're not. But but God is showing us the the, the foreshadows of the, the, the tribulation. We see this like we've talked about before. But one of the things you see is the Word of God is now starting to cost you something. Well, it's really going to cost you something in the tribulation, and as we get closer to that. And the next thing he says, the reason why they were killed, they would not denounce the word of God, and they would not stop maintaining their testimony and boldly preaching, and they would not give up their loyalty to Christ. And you know what John says? And I see them, and that's why they got killed. And you know what they're saying to God? Avenge us. That's, that's us, isn't it? Do you do you love? I, we just read this in our daily Bible reading. My wife and I, when uh, when James and John, remember when the town rejected Jesus, and they turned around and said, "Hey, bring fire down on this place." Jesus is like, "Easy, sons of thunder." <laughs> you know, they they're saying, "Hey, listen, hey, you want us to bring fire down on this place?" And uh, and and of course, that's that's how we are. So you're going to see this again. So now in verse ten, we see the petition from them. Look at verse ten, chapter six, the Revelation. They cried out with a loud voice. These are, the, these are the martyrs from the tribulation. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood 
on those who dwell on the earth. So the fifth seal is the prayers of the martyred. It's a prayer of martyrdom. They will move God to judgment. They cry out in a loud voice. Now, when, 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 you, when you think about this, that they are the fifth seal because their appeal for vengeance uh, is, is going to be heard and God is going to do it. And so how do you pray? How do I pray? Do, do you pray to God like that? Do you, do, are you praying that, you, that he is holy? And if you think about, you know, Jesus told us how to pray, and he said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth as it always is done in heaven. Do you pray that? You know, I would think if Jesus said this is the way to pray, it's probably a good prayer. Uh, and I, I don't, he's not known for getting things wrong. And so what we should be, and, and sometimes that's hard to pray, isn't it? Because what we usually pray, Rick Burgess included, my kingdom come, my will be done, because I'm really angry. But that's not how we were told to pray. We were told to pray that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the appeal for vengeance, they appeal to God's two of God's attributes. What's the first one they appeal to? The one that makes us the most uncomfortable if we were honest. He's holy. You're holy. How dare these people blaspheme you? How dare these people kill those of us that, that, that declared your name, that were witnesses for you? Your holiness calls for vengeance on them. He is true. And what they're saying is true. He must judge sin, and he must be faithful to his holiness. Now, I want to be clear. When they say, how long? How long? I hear the Apostle Paul with the, with the thorn in his flesh in, in, in 2 Corinthians uh, in, in chapter 12. I, I hear Paul, I've pleaded with you three times to remove this thorn from my flesh. Satan has sent a demon to me to harass me about this. And he keeps asking him. And, 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 and God doesn't move when we tell him to move. He said, but you have not moved it. And then he doesn't question that he doesn't know why. He says, because you're, you're leaving it to make me humble, to keep me from being conceited. And in this case, when they say how long, they're not telling God what to do. They just want to know his plan. They, 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 they want to know. They want Satan and the Antichrist blasphemy to their, the holy God they love, and they're now in his presence. They want that to end. Does it bother you when people blaspheme the God that saved you? Or you just sit around and let it go? We, we should have a righteous, indignant attitude for those who attempt to blaspheme the God we serve. Not because we want to be lifted up, but because we want him to be lifted up. And as I have had to say, 
because of God transforming me, not because I had the ability to do it. God has gotten me to the point because of who he is, not because who I am, that I can honestly look you in the eye and say, I stand against all who oppose him, no matter who they are. And I'm not against you. You've heard me say it's just because I'm for him. And that's what they're doing. They're saying, you are holy. Stop this blasphemy of you. We want it stopped. Those who dwell on earth, what do they mean by that? Hand it out on those who dwell on earth. What they mean is the ungodly. And 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 they and, and they're asking about their blood. When will our blood be avenged? God's people, uh, you know, it, it's you know, it, it it's they're not really th- th- what they're saying now is that all of God's people have been taken to you. So we're not asking you to forgive our enemies any longer. We're asking you to destroy them. The asking for them to be forgiven is over. The, the time of grace has stopped. And these had been martyred in the tribulation are saying, we want them to be destroyed. And they want them to be destroyed, and this is key. This is key. They want them to be destroyed because they blaspheme the God that saved them. They're not, they're not being petty about what happened to them. And I think sometimes, so if you oppose evil in this world, don't oppose evil. You and I shouldn't oppose evil because of the way we're being treated. We should oppose evil because of the way God's being treated. That, that's a righteous motivation. Then verse 11, the promise comes from God Almighty. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Underline that. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. See, they think it's over. They think, surely, there's nobody else. That'd be us, isn't it? Well, how quick would we? It's the reason why, you know, I've tried to do a little better and deal with sin in my life of gluttony and, and letting myself go. And one of the things that has to be part of that, you know, I've learned you can't, you can't out-exercise bad eating and, and you can't, uh, you know, because my body can't take that anymore. There's got to be nutrition and there's got to be exercise. I do not like to work out. I can't stand it. And so the reason why I have somebody that stands there over me and says, this is what they're doing, we're doing today. You know why I do that? Is because guess what I do? That's good enough. And I have to have somebody say, we're not done yet. So you know what they're saying? That's enough. Bring the vengeance down. And so what God is reminding them, it's, 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 there's two elements to this. It's a symbolic gift, these white robes. We'd learn this when, back at the letters to the churches. The white robes were a reward of grace, eternal righteousness, blessedness, dignity, honor, glory for the redeemed saints. If you're in here and redeemed, you're going to get one. And, and this is symbolic that because of Jesus, 
who makes us fully righteous. And if you can't say amen on Holy Week to this, because of Jesus, as wicked, as wretched, and as pitiful as we are, if we have been redeemed by Jesus, then we will stand before holy God because of Jesus, completely forgiven, completely righteous, completely blessed, our dignity will be returned, our honor will be returned, and we will be in glorified bodies as redeemed saints standing before a holy God with no shame. If y'all are not excited about that, my goodness. Hey, this isn't all there is. This isn't how it's always going to be. Sherry and I have a ministry dealing with people that are mourning the loss of children, and Sherry does a beautiful job. She gets real quick to, let me tell you this, this is not how it ends. This is not how it's always going to be. Death is defeated, and there's going to be a day that all this is over. We're not going to have people sick anymore. We're not going to have people dying anymore. We're not going to be mourning anymore. All that's going to be over. And we take them to the Revelation in 21, which we'll get to, and we say, let me show you how it ends. This is not how it ends. And so this is symbolic because he brings this to them. The true robes won't come until we get to chapter 20, 21, which I was just talking about. But you know what he's saying, and it says it here in Scripture. We don't, we don't have to go to some you know, commentary about that. In our own language right here, the original Greek says he says to them, i got chills on my body right now, just rest a little longer. Just hang on. It's coming. I, I, I'm giving you these symbolic robes to remind you of what I've done just a little bit longer. Why a little bit longer? Grace. And what does he say? There's still more that are going to repent. Y'all don't know that. Now, they're going to be killed, but I don't have the number I'm looking for. The number of the Gentiles has not come in. And when that number hits, then it's over. We don't tell God when it's over. No matter how much we're hurting, we don't tell him when it's over. But he loves us enough to say, I understand that you're tired. I understand that you're hurting. I understand that you're mourning. I understand that you are ready for the age of grace to be over and sin be eradicated from the earth. I understand you're ready for it, but I haven't called the time yet. But I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to give you that drink of water you need to take that next step. I'm going to give you the comfort you need to wait a little bit longer. Now, one way I've learned to wait a little bit longer is kind of what they're being told. And this is God, not God rebuking them, by the way. He's just saying, enjoy the bliss of heavenly rest until the time of God's wrath comes. A little longer means this, though. This is good news, that it won't be long. He says a little bit longer. And it's going to be about three and a half years. And that's a blip on the radar. That'll be when the number of their fellow servants who are to be killed themselves will come in. Fellow servants willing to die. And, and, and the brethren will die. And there is a number that God is going to wait until it is reached. 
It will be the darkest of times because God's restraint and his church are gone. But even when blood and violence flow like never before, and this is the thing that is incredible, thousands will still be saved during that time. The sixth seal. Verse 12. 19 times in the Old Testament and four times in the New Testament and uh, that, that we that we hear God talking about that 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 people have an anger toward God, but now we're going to see something. Does God have anger toward the wicked every day? Even now, apparently, yes. Uh, Psalms, write this down: seven. 11 and 12, listen to what the psalmist says here. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet, and this means sharpen, the blade of his sword. So this psalmist says that God is indignant every single day for those who reject him. So 19 times in the Old Testament and four times in the New Testament, we hear the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is unique. It's when God's power and holiness are unveiled, bringing terror and death to his enemies. Now, prophets talked about this a lot, destruction from the Almighty God. Uh, here's, Here's what some of the prophets, when they talk about destruction from the Almighty God, Isaiah 13.6. Joel now gets involved uh, this week. Joel 1.15. And Isaiah 13.9 calls the day of the Lord a time of fury and burning anger. Ezekiel uh, 30.3 refers to it as a time of doom. Joel, again, in chapter 2, verse 11, says it will be great and awesome. Amos, uh, in, uh, in, in Amos 5, verse 18, and then again in verse 20, says there will be nothing but darkness, no light. Now, there have been periods of time before what John is seeing that God intervenes in human history for judgment. It's not always future, but like the other pangs, like birth pangs, these will pale in comparison to what John is talking about now the final day of the Lord. On the final day, there will be two stages. The five seals will build to this. Uh, first in the tribulation, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, listen to what he says. Paul talking to Thessalonica, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The second will be at the end of the thousand-year reign. It will be at the end of the millennium. Second Peter talks about this one, and we did this in our study of Second Peter 3.10. So remember, Paul in, in the letter to Thessalonica, he's talking about the day of the Lord that will happen in the tribulation. Peter is talking about the final day of the Lord, which will be at the end of the thousand-year reign, the end of the millennium. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth 
and the works that are done on it will be completely exposed. These two stages are separated by 1,000 years. Now, Peter even mentions in 2 Peter 3, 8, one day to the Lord is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years like one day. So he throws that in there talking about this gap between the tribulation ends. There's, there's, there's God's wrath, which is what John's seeing. And then we'll do the 1,000-year reign of the way things were intended to be. And then Satan will be released again for one final refinement. And at the end of that comes the final day of the Lord, and that's when Jesus rides out, and we'll see that, on the horse and has a sword coming out of his mouth, and he slays him. And Satan is done, the demons are done, and all who oppose him are done. Okay, that, that's, when, that's when then we get into he's wiping away every tear and all that's over. So what, um, what, what we're seeing here is more like 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4. So, so turn over to that. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 1 through 4. And, and, uh, and, and, and we see this uh, from Paul talking to them at Thessalonica, and he says this in 4, I'm sorry, 5, 1 through 4. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, there's that false peace, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, this is back in other reasons that the rapture and the church being taken out seems to to hold water, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day uh, to surprise you like a thief. And then if you look, Look, look what he says. He says, so be ready for the final day of the Lord in the tribulation. Watch out for false assurances because that those will dupe many. You know, And, he, and we even have uh, him, him discussing. They'll be saying, where is your Jesus? He hadn't come back. You know, all this kind of stuff. So then look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do not have uh, who do not have hope for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep for this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left into the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that is encouraging. So what's happening is, is we're going, and this is happening now, What the problem we always run into is that we fear the wrong things, but we don't fear what we should fear. Jesus in Luke 12, 5 says what? Don't fear those that might be able to kill your earthly body, but they can't touch your spirit. He says in 12, 5, let me tell you, you need to fear. And he's talking about his father and himself. He says, fear he who can cast you into hell. Fear the one that not only could kill your body, but also can take your spirit and cast you into hell. Fear that day. Luke 21, 26 talks about uh, men fainting from fear due to the expectation of things coming upon the world. 
fainting, the Greek word here means they literally stop breathing. It's so bad that when this is, this is poured out, the, the, the sheer terror that they feel kills them. It means to expire. So the sixth seal that we're about to see, now I want you to hang on to this. Some people will be killed by fear alone. It will just be so terrifying that it kills them. Just, just the terror of it will kill them. And, um, and there's reason for fear. Look at verses 12 through 14. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig trees, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky van- uh, vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Does that sound like a lot of fun? So unlike the five seals that precede the sixth seal, in the sixth seal, this is important, God acts alone. He doesn't use other things. He doesn't use wild beasts. He doesn't use disease. He doesn't use, use famine. He's not using the prayers of the martyred. He alone says, I'm going to hand out my power on this earth. He is acting alone. We are now in the great tribulation. These phenomenon will be so terrifying and so devastating that they can only be attributed to God. All will know, all will know that everything they've heard preached about God and his wrath is true. Jesus talks about this. Guess what I'm going to say again? Matthew 24, 29, Luke documents this in Luke 21, 11, Luke 21, 25, and 26. In the Old Testament, this is discussed by Joel in chapter 2, 1, 2, in verse 10 in chapter 2, also in verse 31. Joel also talks about it in chapter 3, verse 16. Ezekiel discusses this. In Ezekiel 13, 15, and 16, Zephaniah talks about it in chapter 1, verse 15. There will be six natural disasters that will be unlike anything you've ever seen. The earthquake will be like one that is never seen. There will be no restraint. And I don't know if we have time for this. I'll see if I can't get this in. But um, I was reading some of the stuff about the great earthquake. Dr. Henry Morris explains the great earthquake described here for the first time in history is worldwide in scope. He said those that, that study earthquakes, geophysicists and, and seismologists, in recent years they've learned a great deal about the structure of the earth and about the cause and nature of earthquakes. The earth's solid crust is traversed with a complex network of faults with all resting upon a plastic a mantle whose structure is largely unknown. Whether the crust consists of great moving plates is a current matter of controversy among geophysicists. So the ultimate cause of earthquakes is still not fully known. In all likelihood, the entire complex of the of the crust uh, and its instabilities is a remnant of the phenomena of the great flood, especially the breakup of the fountains of the great deep. Remember we talked about that. In any case, 
the vast worldwide network of unstable earthquake belts around the world suddenly will begin to slip and fracture on a global basis and a gigantic earthquake will ensue. This is evidently and, uh, and also naturally accompanied by tremendous volcanic eru- eruptions spewing vast quantities of dust and steam and gases into the upper atmosphere. It is probably these that will cause the sun to be darkened and the moon to appear to look blood red. You know, he says, we're studying this. It can happen. Some, we see something we don't know what it is, but we think that really, now I want you to think about this. Remember, get on the ark. Remember, get on the ark analogy. Jesus is now the ark. The worldwide flood changed the earth so much that it set it up for the final judgment. Put that in your pipe and have a smoke. I mean that that's incredible. So so the first one is earthquake, like never has never been seen. Then the sun becomes black as as sackcloth. Now, why do you think that God is using the analogy sackcloth? What do we find in the Old Testament? What does that represent? Mourning, repentance. The earthquake will be worldwide, all the belts and faults, like we just read from Dr. Henry Morris. The moon becomes like blood. The prophets, Isaiah 13.10, Joel 2.10, 31, which I've already given you, and Acts 2.20, that's a new one, Acts 2.20. The sun and moon will become eclipsed. Worldwide panic uh, will take place. The stars fell on the earth. These, of course, are pretty obvious. That'd be meteors and asteroids. And I love the analogy that John is hearing because they had seen this, the fig tree analogy. He says these things are going to start falling out of the sky. And he says, you know, what it reminds me of is when a wind would blow the fig trees when they're ripe and all the figs start hitting the ground. I'm seeing something falling out of the sky like those figs, and it's just pounding the earth. Can you imagine this sky, the sky appears to split apart. This is not the final event. Peter describes um, but, but more the appearance of what's to come because you know Peter says in 3.10, the heavens are going to burn and all that's going to be gone. So it's not, it's not the final event, but you're starting to see what, what, I mean, John says it looks like the sky is rolling up like a scroll. Uh, this is what uh, Luke 21.11 talks about. Jesus calls it terrors and great signs from heaven. That's what Jesus calls it. Isaiah says in 34.4, uh, he speaks of the event, uh, and, he, uh, and, 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 and he even speaks of the event and uses the term scroll analogy as well. So Isaiah says, yeah, the sky's rolling up like a scroll. John says, I see the sky. It looks like it's, it's rolling up like a, a scroll. What this means is, is to the words here, if you look at the Hebrew with Isaiah and the Greek with John, you see what they're really describing. They're saying it looks like the sky is withering away. Um, Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, says something interesting. It says, God will strike a blow at the domain of Satan. That's what Paul says to the Ephesians. And what is Satan described as? The prince of the power of the air. It's almost like this is part of God destroying the domain that he has, the power of the air. I think, now now we're getting into Rick commentary, and there ain't a whole lot of value to that, but 
But when you think about this, though, you know what would come with all this, don't you? No way to communicate. I mean, you, you, you're talking about, uh, you know, the grid. The grid's over. There ain't no grid. You're not getting any updates from the news. You're not able to communicate with anybody. All that's over. Um, and then the sixth phenomenon, he says, every mountain and island will be moved from their places. And um, and this also, Dr. Morris talks about this as well. And uh, he says, um, he said, the earth's crust, is highly unstable ever since the Great Flood. It'll be it'll be so disturbed by the impacting asteroids, the volcanic explosions, and the worldwide earthquake quakes that that great segments of it will actually begin to slip and slide over the Earth's deep plastic mantle. And the geophysicists for many years have been fascinated with the idea of continental drift. We know this. Uh, several have published theories of past uh, catastrophic movements which they call the Earth's shifting crust, some such phenomena may actually be triggered under the judgment of the sixth seal, dwarfing the damage that we have seen before. So he said, you know, the Earth's already shown it can do this, but now under this, it's going to really, really do it. So you look at uh, the, the rest of what is going on in 15 and 16, and listen to what he says about the mountains and the islands were removed from their place. Then in 15, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Let me tell you what the range of fear is here. That's him saying the range of fear, it didn't know any boundaries. The poorest of the poor was terrified and the greatest of the great was terrified. They were equally, equally terrified. And don't miss this. It don't matter whether you're rich or poor, you better repent. The poor people don't get a pass if they don't repent. You know what he said? They're just as terrified. You know, I know poor people that are quite evil. And I know rich people that are quite evil. That there's no I'm rich, you know, that somehow poor being poor is elevated to a no need of repentance. You know what he says? The slave was just as terrified as the king. And the king was just as terrified as the slave. These generals and these kings, they were nothing they could do. They, they had met an opponent that was above them. No matter how powerful one may believe they are on this earth or how low one may be in the earthly system, if you are unredeemed, you will face God's holy and righteous judgment. Nobody is going to be hid from it. Now, 16 is very interesting as we get ready to wrap up. It says that calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now I want you to think about that, their reaction to their fear. So the world acknowledges God's judgment. They will believe that it's coming from God. They even call him the Lamb. They will fear him. But here's what's going to blow you away. But will not repent. Now, I know that we all, we can't wait to get on a higher horse on this one. Do you realize, though, how long I knew the truth before I repented? I'd never lived a day on this planet that I knew my left hand from my right that I didn't know the gospel. 
And what did Jesus say about us? Because everybody in the room, I don't know where all of you out there are from, but in this room, everybody in here has heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over. And Jesus says when he is rebuking the three cities in Matthew 11, it's also documented in Mark, in Matthew 11, he says, Woe to you, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin. That's where he did 90% of the revelation of himself. He did every miracle you can think of in those three cities. And most of them had remained unchanged. And he says, How much worse will it be on the day of judgment? He says, How much worse will it be on the day of judgment for you than for Tyre? Sidon, Sodom, and Gomorrah. All were destroyed because of their evilness. And what does he say? If they had seen what you saw, back to sackcloth, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But you have remained unchanged. I know everybody in this room has heard the truth, including your teacher, and I kind of understand these people. Because you know what they're saying, and this is what you see happening now. They will not repent. Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, when Paul says they repeatedly hardened their heart over and over and over. And you know what's interesting? They hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountain. How silly that these things could protect them from what they're seeing. And instead of calling on God to save them, who do they call? Mother Nature. Mountains, rocks, fall on us, save us. You ever seen the earth worshipers all around you today? You ever ever heard the lunacy of Earth Day. They're crying out for Mother Nature to save them. They know somebody needs to save them, but they don't call the right one. They call on nature for relief. But death, and see, this is the other thing, they think death will be relief. They clearly acknowledge this is the wrath of the Lord, and they foolishly think, that death will hide them from the wrath of he who sits on the throne. This is that bunch that thinks, when I die, I just cease to exist. So that's where my peace will come. Just kill me. They fear the wrath of the Lamb. They see clearly he's the executioner of the wrath, but they will not repent. And they think death will be their rescue, and they want nature to provide it. Verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The great day of the wrath has come, the day of the Lord precedes the coming of the Lord in the seventh seal, which will be even worse. Take away so far, okay? It is terrifying, but it's not hopeless. Repent now. Here's what we know up to this point in Revelation, and we'll close. The church will be delivered. We see this in Revelation 3.10. Paul also assures us that the redeemed will not see the wrath of God. 
We also know great multitudes will be saved. We'll see that in Revelation 7, 9. That'll be the Gentiles. Uh, And we also will see that there will be many Jews that will be redeemed. Paul talks about this in Romans 11, 26. But for the rest of the world, those that will not repent, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 tells them the bad news. And you know, I, I've read this a lot in Hebrews, and 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 I've and I've tried to figure out figure out exactly what's being said. But now that I've studied the Revelation, I know exactly what's being said. Look at uh, verse twenty six in Hebrews ten. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, you think these people don't know the truth now? There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then the writer of Hebrews says in verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the warning. Thank you for the grace. I pray, Lord, anyone in this room or anyone watching and listening to this that knows that they need to repent. They know that they do not have the redemption provided by your son, the redemption that will protect them from your wrath, that today will be the day that they say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I acknowledge you as Lord, and I turn from my sin that has done nothing but disappoint me and will eventually kill me, and I turn to you for life because only you provide it through the redemption and the grace through your son, Jesus, who this very week in time paid the price for my sins and defeated them on the cross and walked out of the tomb and defeated my eternal death. And I today declare allegiance to follow him and him alone, and I repent of my sins. If you're sincere in your heart, the scriptures tell us you will be saved. If you need my help, reach out to me, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com, and I'll be happy to help you. Thank you, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.